Welcome to Within Us. This is your place for transformational tools for mind, body, and spirit. My name is Azriella Jankovic, and I'm your host. I believe that together we can build a better and kinder world. You are listening to episode 31 with Rabbi Abraham J. Torsky, MD. Today is April 2nd, and we are living in times unlike anything we've known in our lives. When I reached out to my guest several months ago, I had no idea that this was on the horizon or that our conversation would be all the more so relevant in a time like the one that we're in. A few weeks ago, I sat down in person to conduct this interview. It was somewhat surreal. You see, I've been reading Rabbi Tversky's books for two decades now. I have tremendous respect for him. He is a renowned rabbi from a dynasty of spiritual luminaries. He himself is an ancestor of the spiritual master known as the Baal Shem Tov. Additionally, Rabbi Tversky is a medical doctor, a psychiatrist who directed the Department of Psychiatry at St. Francis Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's lectured extensively on stress, self-esteem, and spirituality, traveling the world as a spokesperson for recovery on behalf of the millions who have achieved it, inspiring and encouraging those who are still finding their way. Rabbi Tversky's message has always resonated personally for me. As I've shared in some past episodes, my own quest for mental well-being has been a road of twists and turns. I'm forever grateful for teachers like Rabbi Dr. Tversky for carefully delivering timeless wisdom with a modern sensibility that I could relate to and benefit from. Rabbi Tversky is nearly 90 years old. He brings his lifetime of wisdom to all of us today. In his great humility, he often quotes spiritual masters and Torah ideas as the foundation for his beliefs and teachings. For anyone who may be new to these, I'll be offering brief explanations throughout the show in order to provide you with some context. It's very important to me that wherever you are in the world, whatever your background, your affiliation, and your spiritual orientation, that you'll be able to understand the ideas that he presents. You see, I believe they have the power to change your life, beginning right now. From the moment I left Rabbi Tversky's house just a few weeks ago, I have felt a newfound sense of confidence and peace and for a reason that Rabbi Tversky himself describes as beyond reason. If you have ever doubted yourself, felt stuck in self-defeat, or wanted to get out of your own way, live your truth, pursue your dreams, this is the episode for you. In the context of the coronavirus that we're dealing with and the current situation of anxiety, that so many are experiencing. My guest shares his wisdom on the importance of staying calm. To provide you with some tools and practical tips to stay calm, 
I've rounded up some resources, especially for you. You'll find these at the end of the interview. And now our guest for today, Rabbi Dr. Abraham J. Torsky. When we originally scheduled this interview, I didn't anticipate what was coming. Your wisdom can help so many people at this time in particular. So thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. For any of our listeners who have yet to meet you or become acquainted with your work, you've written books and I know that you've worked with some of the most challenged people in society. Can you tell us a little bit about your history? My father was a rabbi in Milwaukee, a Hasidic rabbi. I wanted to be following his footsteps. His office was always buzzing with people looking for advice. And I modeled myself after him. When I became a rabbi, this was in 1951, post-World War II, psychiatry and psychology had a meteoric rise. And I decided that perhaps I should do what, in order to be what I wanted to be as a, as a rabbi, I should go for the professional because that's where people are going to go for counseling. So I wrote a letter to the stipender Gun, who was a friend of the family. He and my father grew up together. And I told him that I was planning to go to medical school. And he wrote me a long letter, and he gave me his blessing. There is a long-standing tradition in the Jewish faith to seek advice from a rabbi or a teacher or an elder. As it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, make yourself a teacher. Rabbi Tversky reached out in his early years to the Stegler Gaon. The word Gaon in Hebrew is the word meaning genius. Receiving a blessing to pursue secular studies at this time in particular was of great significance. So I went to medical school with the intent of becoming a psychiatrist which is what I did. If I had to do it over again, I would do it exactly as I did. And then I was asked to take a position as director of St. Francis General Hospital, which was a Catholic hospital in Pittsburgh, a very large hospital, 750 beds, of which 300 were psychiatric. And that was my job. And then there was a part of the uh, psychiatric unit that was an alcohol treatment unit. Now, it was very primitive. Alcoholics were admitted to be dried out, which was four days, five days, six days, and then they were sent out. And I said to the administrator, I said, Sister, we're not doing these people any good. We have not given them any tools how to stay sober. I think we need a residential treatment center locally. I'm making it sound very simple, but it was awfully complicated. But I went about putting together a committee of influential people and then trying to raise money and getting a government support grant, etc. And in 1972, we opened the doors of Gateway Rehabilitation Center, which has since become one of the foremost addictions treatment centers. It started off with alcoholism, but then when the drug epidemic hit, uh, we started treating drug addiction, and in the last couple of years we added a special youth center because of the spread of drugs of all kinds among young people. And then I began to write a little bit about some of my experiences and some of my ideas. Early on I found that most people that I treated, other than alcoholics and addicts, all had a common denominator that all had feelings of inadequacy and inferiority that were not realistic. And this gave rise to many problems. So I got started on a theme of 
developing self-esteem. My first book was titled, Like Yourself and Others Will Too. That was the beginning of a career. Rabbi Tversky, what inspired you to write all of these books over the years? You have authored over 80 books. I said I never wrote 80 books. I wrote one book in 80 different ways. Because all I talk about is how important it is to get to know the truth about yourself and not be blinded by these inferiority feelings. So that's been one of my major themes. The second issue has much to do with addiction, and that is that as long as people are in pursuit of self-gratification, there will never be the addiction problem. I mean, I've watched over the past 40 years, I've watched the government in America spend billions of dollars to try to do something about the addiction problem and it keeps on increasing and it keeps on increasing because there's no end point to wanting comfort pleasure self-gratification so this is where spirituality comes in our ancestor avramavino was a maverick and he did not go along with the prevailing idolatry but his contribution was not necessarily teaching monotheism that there's one god that's part of it what it was about was that idolatry was practice of trying to appease the gods so that they should should fulfill your wishes or for bountiful crops or children or whatever. And Avramavina says, you've got it all wrong. God is not here to serve us. We are here to serve Hashem. And that was a revolutionary kind of statement. Very few people picked up on it. So if we have a goal in life of wishing to fulfill the wishes and directions of Hashem, it is possible to have a, a truly happy life and not artificial happiness. Here, Rabbi Tversky explains that true happiness is in serving Hashem, in serving this universe and the creator of the universe. What is Hashem, you may be wondering? In Hebrew, the word Hashem literally means the name. Because, according to Jewish philosophy, it is impossible for us to conceive of that which has created us. We simply refer to it as the name. Now, the Bible itself, the Old Testament, referred to as the Torah, does have anthropomorphic references to the creator of the universe. But from a clear understanding of the sources, we come to see that those anthropomorphic representations are simply used in order for us to be able to relate to the stories and to the capacities of our creator through human eyes. All of that being said, it only takes a few moments of contemplating where this universe has come from and, quite frankly, where this universe ends before we come to understand that we as humans cannot completely comprehend. What you and I can understand and what we can all agree upon is that in order for us to coexist 
in order for us to work together to make this world better, we need to abide by divine ordinances of collaboration, connection, and coexistence. According to the Jewish tradition, not everyone needs to be distinctly Jewish in order to fulfill the mission of the universe. However, everyone does need to get along peacefully and learn how to do that and learn what that means. We can conceptualize of our serving Hashem in a universal way as abiding by the divine ordinances through which together we can build a more peaceful world. But that's not the way the world is going. In the history of the world, there has never been a generation that has been as hedonistic as ours. People are in pursuit, not of happiness, they're in pursuit of pleasure. And that is going to feed into addiction, and I see no end to it. Yes, you can build more treatment centers, but you're not going to do anything about preventing addiction. To many people, being Torah observant is primarily doing the rituals of Torah, which is important, but it's not enough. The mitzvahs and the rituals are important, but a strong emunah and Hashem, and emunah is the only kind of thing that's going to get us through life. The Talmud says that the righteous person will live with him. For our listeners who are not familiar with this idea of emunah, this, this is a Hebrew word that we're using. How could you, Rabbi, how would you explain this concept to someone who's not familiar? Emunah is comprised of faith and trust in Hashem. So first one has to believe in Hashem. And this is something that we get from our heritage, we get from our parents, our grandparents, and so forth. Once we have a belief in Hashem, then we have to learn how to uh, trust Hashem and that everything Hashem does is for the best even though we can't begin to understand it. And whenever we're challenged by things that seem to be terribly unfair, I just have to stop and pause and think the Hashem Tov, the Gaon of Vilna, all of these intellectual and spiritual giants, they knew the same problems that I did. They had all the same questions about about Hashem, but yet they kept up the faith. And there have been so many instances of where people have sacrificed their lives for Hashem rather than to deny Him. So that's what Amunah is about, a strong trust and faith in Hashem. And it's a battle. It's a battle, a lifelong battle. It's a simple battle for children to learn. But as we get older and uh, more intelligent and more experienced, and more aware of the world, the challenges have become greater, not lesser. And so, the challenges that I face in Amunu now, close to age 90, are much greater than the challenges that I had when I was eight or 10. It is so true, as Rabbi Tversky has shared, that faith can come from our ancestors. But what does one do if not taught about faith, and if not raised with ideas that are spiritual. I'd like to share with you a short passage from one of Rabbi Torsky's books, Wisdom Each Day. It says, Some say they do not believe in God, 
because God would not allow evil and injustice. They do not recognize that man cannot fathom divine wisdom. Rev. Mendel of Kursk said, I would never worship a God with intelligence so limited that even I could understand him. The Talmud states that the Roman Emperor Adrian had a discussion with Rabbi Yeshua. If there is a creator, he asked, why does he not reveal himself to us so that we might appreciate him? Rabbi Yeshua responded, you'd never be able to survive such a revelation. If you do not show him to me, Adrian said, I cannot believe he exists. Very well, replied Rabbi Yeshua. Just look into the sun and you will see him. Adrian tried to look into the sun, but immediately turned away. I cannot look into the sun, he said. Rabbi Yeshua replied, the sun is one of his smallest creations. If you cannot look into the brightness of one of his minor creations, how do you expect to see him? But if there is true Amuna, and you realize you're living for a purpose, and the purpose is not just to get the maximum fun and pleasure out of life, our current generation seems to believe that the world was created to be a huge amusement park. But if we believe that we are believed to, that we were created to fulfill a purpose that Hashem wants, there may be a lot of gratification that we're missing, but there is the gratification of knowing that we're doing the right thing and fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. Beautiful. So I want to revisit the idea that you shared about self-esteem. Someone not believing in themselves, not having the self-esteem, the self-concept, and yet having every reason to believe in themselves. Can you explain to us a little bit about how that happens and how do we open ourselves up to believing in ourselves? There is no logical explanation for that. In psychology, the explanation is that if you are unhappy with yourself, it's due to a deficit in parenting or other external circumstances that deprive you of that which you wish. I used to think that, like like other psychologists, but then I came across something that is said by one of the Balai Musa, which became much clearer to me. And he said that we believe that Hashem created a Yitzhar Tov, a good inclination, and a Yitzhar and an evil inclination. And what does the Yitzhar do? The opinion generally was, tries to seduce you to doing sins. But then I found that one of the great Balimuso said that that's not all the Yetzirah does. The Yetzirah simply wants to disable you so that you should not be able to fulfill the will of Hashem. Although he can do, get some of that by seducing you to sin, most of it is by taking away your self-trust, taking away your self-esteem, and making you feel worthless. And if, if he gets you to feel worthless, he's won his battle. So when I get uh, feelings like everybody else does, that uh, I'm severely lacking, that I'm not doing enough, I have to stop myself and say, wait a second. I get other ideas. Yes, I'll tell me when I'm hungry to go and eat whatever I can or whatever I like. And I don't listen to the Yitzhara. So I don't listen to the Yitzhara when he tells me how how incapable I am. I say, "That's that's not so. 
I know that I am a child of Hashem, and as such, I have a neshama that is part of Hashem, and it's really endless in its potential. I have a soul that is part of Hashem, and it is endless in its potential. It's a beautiful idea, and so empowering in terms of how we can seek happiness. And I'm curious if you can share a little bit with us about the difference between happiness and pleasure. What is going to make us happy in this life if it's not pleasure? First of all, I strongly believe that there is a basic difference between animals and men. I don't believe that science is correct when they say that man is a homo sapiens, because homo sapiens simply means a gorilla with intellect. Animals are driven by pleasure, and it's natural, and it's perfectly okay for animals. If people do that, then they're lowering themselves to a animal status. And so I have to realize that I have something else to contribute to life other than just selfish gratification. And selfish gratification may give me a few moments of pleasure, but in the long run it's going to fail. I've worked with thousands and thousands of drug addicts. They have a pursuit of pleasure, and they have a pursuit of pleasure that destroys them. Now, if pleasure was, would be the source of happiness, then addicts ought to be the happiest people in the world. But they're not. They're the most miserable people in the world. And so many people who have fortunately recovered from drug addiction have said to me, the worst day of my sobriety is better than the best day of my addiction. The worst day of my sobriety is better than the best day of my addiction. It's powerful. It's powerful and it's true. Happiness is a human trait. Pleasure is an animal trait. I refuse to be a homo sapiens. I love that. I like how you speak about it in your book on spirituality that what makes someone uniquely human is their capacity for spirituality. So I'm curious if you could share with those of our listeners familiar or even unfamiliar with spirituality as a term or as a practice. Are there practical things that anyone can do to live a more spiritual life? Of course. We have to first realize what is it really that separates a human being from a lower form of life? The answer is that the human being has a component called the spirit. The spirit is, consists of several things. First of all, of being able to sacrifice one's own needs for the welfare of someone else. The ability to grow, ability to forgive, the ability to see a purpose in life rather than think of oneself as an accidental occurrence on earth. There's perhaps 13 or 14 things that are characteristic of a human being that animals do not do. Those items that separate us from an animal that constitutes spirituality. Some people have asked, what about religion? I say religion is very important, but it's not part of this. It's, it's not the most essential part of, of spirituality. A religious performance without spirituality is a superficial performance and is, and is of very little value. So over the course of your work, you've had thousands of patients, thousands of patients who were suffering with addiction. And I think right now, in this time of stress, it's especially important to think about 
how does someone deal with stress and deal with wanting to be comforted or feeling a need for a substance? How can people deal with those desires in times that are difficult? They can do that if they realize that that's the only way to go. Unfortunately, many people, especially in our modern age, believe that the uh, solution to that lies in taking some kind of substance that will give you a kind of a train of thought or kind of sensation that will take away your stress. They have recourse either to alcohol or to drugs or to other kinds of pleasures, all kinds of things that are totally self-centered without a sense of responsibility or duty. And those kinds of things can only give one a very brief period of gratification, and then there's the desire for more and more and more, and so it's actually a frustrated existence. Sounds very difficult. So in, in terms of shifting out of that addiction mentality, seeking pleasure, is there a mindset or something that, that people can do on a daily basis to affirm their spirituality, to affirm their life and purpose, living for real happiness. What can we think? What can we do? I think we have to learn the sources in Torah that deal with it. I spent most of my practice working with alcoholics and addicts and watching them grow in recovery. Their recovery is based on making a significant change in lifestyle. And in practical terms, it's based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. If Bill Wilson, who's the author of the 12 steps, also has a belief in God, but that is not the essential thing. The essential thing is practicing the 12 steps, having the camaraderie and support with other people in doing so. And I've seen people change their lives around from being a homo sapiens to being a uh, sensitive, feeling, believing person. It's so beautiful to hear that it's possible and that there's hope for everyone and that we all go through the same difficulties. I think it's really comforting to hear from you that everyone has this sense of doubt, this evil inclination that's holding us back from being who we can be in this world. I know that around the world, people are feeling scared and times are changing. And I'm curious if you could share any advice that you can share for our listeners in the time that we're in right now. The immediate thing is to do the kind of things that are most likely to preserve our life. That is number one. Once we do that, if we realize that our lives are purposeful, we don't take the fear as a threat to our existence. It's easy to say, very difficult to do. On a practical level, in terms of being precautious with everything we need to do to stay safe, we have that on the first hand. And on the second hand, it's not allowing ourselves to live in fear. And if we realize, hey, this is reality, we have going through an exceedingly difficult period of reality. If we panic, all is lost. Stay calm, in other words. Try to stay calm. Try to stay calm. If you go through any of the books that talk about uh, stress and anxiety, other than taking medications, Mm -hmm. it's very easy to make yourself oblivious to the world 
by taking enough of a, a tranquilizer, but that's not the way to go. Uh, but I think if we learn how to stay calm with the kind of things that are sensible practices can be achieved and will survive this. You do the maximum that you can. And if you have trust and belief in Hashem, then pray for the Hashem's guidance and protection. Amen. And protection. Amen. Examples of times in the Torah where panic was a problem. One of the Musar authorities, Rav Shmulevich, who explains how the phenomenon of the worship of the golden calf could possibly have happened. Here was a people who had been at Sinai and had heard the word of Hashem. They watched the splitting of the sea. They saw miracle after miracle. The presence and actions of Hashem were palpable. How about they go off the deep end? So he said it was very simple. They were in the desert. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how they're going to survive. The only thing that they had was Moshe. Moshe was the leader who provided for all of their questions and all of their needs. So the house of Israel witnesses miracles. They are freed from slavery. And here they are relying on one person, Moses, and then he disappears. And suddenly Moses is gone for 40 days and they assume him to be dead. And he said they went into a panic. They went into a panic to do something as idiotic as worshiping a golden calf. So the remedy for this, rather than, let's say we could rewind the story, what could someone do instead? You turn to your leaders, you turn to your leaders and you get guidance. And their leader was gone. Their leader was gone. Moses was gone. Right. And so they panicked. Right, right. Well, if we assume what Rav uh, said, that the episode of the ego was due to a panic, the uh, antidote is to have faith and not panic. What happened with with, uh, with them, when they saw no way out without Moshe in a barren desert, so logical there was panic. He says, you can't go by logic, you have to go by your faith. Mm, go by your faith, beautiful message. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me, and thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. What an honor, what a joy to hear this wisdom from Rabbi Torsky. I would love to hear from you, I'd love to hear what you took away from this episode and what your unique challenges are in this time right now. First and foremost, I would like to say that everything that I'm doing and all the effort that is going into this show really is to bring comfort and I pray for healing for anyone who's suffering and anyone who is affected. There are far too many at this point in time and I want to tell you how sincerely you are all in my hearts and we are in the hearts of one another you know we're separated by distance right now and there is no greater act of love than giving one another space in this particular time look at how much we the citizens of this world care about each other Sometimes we can get so caught up in the hustle bustle and the noise of everyday life that it's hard to see. But that is what happens when we're operating in stress mode. What happens when we're operating in panic mode? Or when we're simply so busy and so caught up in our daily lives that we forget to make space for one another or to acknowledge one another. 
And I think that what we're going through right now really reaffirms how much we all care about one another and how deeply important our connections are. This week, I heard from several of our listeners in terms of the unique challenges that they're facing. And one of our listeners is a mother and she was just having such a hard time with everyone being home and being in the same space. And, you know, not everyone has the smoothest, most peaceful family life. And I think even for those people who do have relatively functional, quote unquote, normal, you know, there's just so much variance uh, in terms of what that means. But I think no matter how good someone's circumstances are, this time is particularly challenging. And I think what Rabbi Torsky brought up about operating from a place of panic and operating from a place of fear really speaks to this situation and what everyone's going through on some level. So I wanted to share with you some of the insights that I've rounded up to help these practical tools to tap into this wisdom that Rabbi Torsky shared about having faith and trying to stay calm as much as possible so that we can approach the situation with as much well-being as we possibly can. Number one is keeping your ego in check. I think that so often our ego wants us to look good. And rather than looking at other people's behavior as an affront to who we are and their level of respect for us, we can simply look within realize that we may be struggling, they may be struggling, and their behaviors are coming from a place of fear, and we can let go. Number two, self-coach. If you are noticing that you're becoming triggered by whatever is going on that's less than helpful around you, self-coaching, self-soothing is something that's available to you in every moment. Whether it's getting up a few minutes early to sit quietly and take some deep breaths, setting aside time to take a walk if that's available to you, to have a conversation with someone that you care about, to do some exercise, and even say to yourself, in your own mind, you can say, I'm here for you. I care about you. You're doing the best you can. This is challenging. You're doing the best with these given circumstances. Anything that you can do to offer yourself compassion and to coach yourself through it can calm you down enough so that you can shift out of this stressful limbic response and into your more elevated self, activating your ability to make better decisions. All right, so the next one, I'm just warning you, can be a challenging one if you're extroverted like me and you want to catch up with people. But the advice is really to give people the space that they need, not just the physical space, but really the emotional space. Because we're dealing with so many changes and so quickly, it's taking a lot of brain power for so many of us to simply process and make sense of it all. Not everyone is ready to have a conversation about it. And I know that several people in my life are not available to chat right now. They're just not up for it. And initially when that came to my attention, I was like really sad and hurt. And then I just paused and I remembered this. And I offered the situation understanding in my own mind. And 
it's totally okay. You know, everyone is dealing with this the best that they can, and we will all get back to our conversations and our relationships in the right time. Okay, the next one is a little less difficult, and that one is to have some fun if you can and bring some humor into your life, humor, and get those pleasure chemicals like dopamine and oxytocin moving through you. Have a humorous discussion if you can to reduce the tension. Talk about something other than what's going on. Do a fun project. Go out and garden, read a book, take up a creative project, or even clean out a drawer. The therapeutic benefits of cleaning are tremendous. Most importantly, look within and ask yourself, what is helping me right now? I think this is an especially powerful time to tune in with what we need. What do you need right now? What's helping you? what's not helping you, and just making peace with whatever that is. Because the sooner we make peace with it, the sooner we can calm the stress response and tap into who we truly are. A word of advice from one of my teachers, psychologist Tara Brock, who says, the first step when we get really gripped in fear is to calm our sympathetic nervous system. A simple way to do this is with long, deep breaths. Take at least three full breaths, counting to five with the inhale and five with the exhale. And with the exhale, intentionally release tension. Our breath, she explains, is often the most helpful home base for coming out of our circling worry thoughts and back into our senses. Thank you, Tara. Another piece of advice that came across my desk this week was from a spiritual leader who shared that we may be inclined to keep checking back with the news and keep talking about all of the devastation that's going on right now with this virus, but that's not actually going to be helpful. Rather than focusing on that, let's turn our attention to the acts of kindness that are going on in the world around us. Let's do something kind for ourselves. Let's do something kind for a family member, for a neighbor, reach out to someone and ask them how you might be able to help. Consciously focus your attention on your intention to do good right now. There was so much wisdom in this episode that Rabbi Tversky shared, and I'm walking away with this understanding that we as human beings have a physical, a bodily desire for pleasure. We also have the egoic desire to look good and to be respected, but we also have this spiritual desire to do what is good and right. This, my friends, is within us. It is within each and every one of us. I want to give a special thanks to Kesher Video, K-E-S-H-E-R video.com. Kesher Video came along with me to interview Rabbi Torsky and some of the video footage is going to be made available on my website. So you can go ahead and hop over there. My website is drazi.co, that's D-R-A-Z-I.co. Or, of course, you can hop on over to my Facebook page, which is Within Us Podcast with Azriela Jankovic. That's Within Us Podcast with Azriela Jankovic. I'm going to put that in the show notes today. 
so you can click on the link easily. You'll also find information about today's guest, Rabbi Torsky. You will also find a link to his most recent book called Growing Up. In Growing Up, Rabbi Torsky presents insightful perspective on how many of us at the core are still young children. He shares inspiring stories, meaningful Torah insights, and practical advice about how we can rise above our nature and take simple steps to true happiness and spiritual growth. So you will find all of that in the show notes and definitely hop on over to my Facebook page and give the page a like. I've got a lot of really relevant content rolling out and I'm also starting to do Facebook lives with some of my guests so that you can have an opportunity to bring your questions to each episode and ask them live on the show. Stay connected, sending abundant blessings to you wherever you are in the world. And I'll see you next week.